Hey friends, it's Andrew and John for Into the Harvest. Our mission is to inspire and resource God's people to live the ancient faith in modern life. We want you to be a disciple and make disciples of Jesus in every nook and cranny of the world that we live in. 2023 has been a great year of growth for this ministry, and we've got big plans for 2024. So we're here today asking for your help. Our year in fundraiser is happening now, and you can help us finish strong and launch us into the new year. If you believe in this work and it's helped you this year, would you consider making a donation today? There's a link in the show notes to this episode and every gift matters. So thanks for being part of our community and helping grow this mission. Shelton, welcome back onto the show. Uh, thank you. Glad to be here. Can you believe that we are at the end of 2023? <laughs> no, <laughs> not at all. It goes by quickly. Yeah. It does. Uh, we're recording this in early December. And of course, we're right in the heart of the Christmas swing. Last mm -hmm. year, we did. Uh, we had a conversation around should Christians celebrate Christmas? And yeah. folks can check that out if they want. I think it was a great conversation, very yeah. helpful. How do we go about celebrating Christmas? Today, in a similar way, we're going to talk about what Christmas is all about. Mm. So why we celebrate Christmas. Mm. And you and I were talking before we pressed record. You know, God has always wanted his people to periodically, in the Old Covenant, three times a year, all of the men of Israel were required to travel to Jerusalem or wherever mm -hmm. the, the tabernacle or temple was. And it was a time of remembering and resetting mm -hmm. who we are as a people, who God is, what he's calling us to. And in a similar way, Christmas has been that for Christians through the ages. But it's funny. Um, we can lose the meaning. We can still celebrate the event. Yeah, yeah. But actually lose the heart of what it's all about. So yeah. today we're talking about the incarnation. Yeah, and and I think it's exactly right. I think it's the power of story and and repetition of story. And as you pointed out, the Bible tells us to repeat these things, to celebrate these feasts. And the Old Testament, New Testament, it's not a command at that level, but but we pick up this tradition from Christians as we talked about last year, from way back when of of celebrating here, hey, we need to retell this story and the and the story over and over again. So you know, I was born into a Christian family, uh, and even if you haven't been, if you're an American listening to this, you probably you probably grew up with Christmas themes around you every year. And I, you know, I've <laughs> been in worship and have heard the story of Jesus's birth over and over again from Charlie Brown on, you know, and, and kind of in those days and, you know, Caesar <laughs> Augustus issued a creed and, and decree. And so you, um, you know, I grew up with that. And so, and there's such beauty to that and that you can it to retell the story over and over, but the, and that's the power of story, the, the downfall of story that we repeat over and over again is kind of like growing calluses on your skin when you rub up against something over and over again. We we lose sensitivity to how mm. an incredible acclaim of God um, incarnating Himself into a human form is like that. That that is 
unbelievable it, it, in so many ways. Um, and yet that's <laughs> precisely what we believe in. And so it is to me, this claim of Emmanuel, which is what Christmas is all about, is at the heart of what it really means to be a believer uh, of Jesus Christ. That we don't just believe that there was a man, Jesus Christ, who was good mm -hmm. and that he died and that God rose that man up from the dead. We right. believe that man was, was the incarnation of God himself. The enfleshment is what that word means, incarnation, like mm. God putting on human flesh and everything he did, well, he was fully man and also fully God. And that that is an ancient struggle for faith that goes way back. And I think it's worth struggling with every year to remind ourselves because mm. it brings, if we can come out of Christmas every year and re-wrestle with the incarnation, then I think it brings weight to our faith and our worship all of the rest of the year long. Just bring it, just transforms, and we're reminded, yeah, this is who Jesus is. This is why, hmm. this is why it's worth selling all the other, you know, pearls so that I can come get this pearl of great, great treasure. Like this is this is the kingdom of God. This is huge. Hmm. And it just gives weight to everything else we do to our discipleship. It gives, it just changes everything. It gives us the urgency and the weight that I think we need, we lose sight of. And so there's a Christmas is not just about getting the form, family time and the warm mm -hmm. fuzzies. And it is about adding the weight, I think, to our faith every year of going, here's what we believe. Yeah. And historically we celebrate, uh, we use a calendar that came down to us from the early church. Yeah. We, st we're, we live in the year 2023, mm -hmm. uh, Anno Domini mm -hmm. uh, in the year of our Lord. Mm -hmm. And so it's an event. The incarnation is an event that literally split history mm -hmm. because it, it's, it is, uh, what the Bible describes as, as the, the fullness of time and the fullness of time. Um, God sent his son, born mm -hmm. of a woman, born under the law. Uh, and so this event, this incarnation, it is worth celebrating. And you're right. You know, there's a there's a few things that we can fall prey to during the Christmas season. One is that we can develop those calluses, as you mentioned, that we can be celebrating the right thing, but just not really being mm -hmm. captivated by just mm -hmm. how significant, significant this event is. Mm -hmm. And of course, you can also, you can swap it out. You can replace it, you know? Um, and so you can be celebrating Christmas um, and and not even celebrating Jesus, which is something that we can also, even as believers, we can mm -hmm. we can tell ourselves stories that, that don't really connect to mm -hmm. the true heart of the incarnation. But the incarnation is at the heart of human history. It's also at the heart of our faith without the incarnation, we have a hard time making sense of who God is, mm -hmm. um, our condition, who we are, and then the new life that he's calling us mm -hmm. to. So mm -hmm. today we're going to have a conversation about how the incarnation, what it is, why it's important, and how it shapes us in those three mm -hmm. ways. Our understanding of God, our understanding of ourselves and our, our own condition before him, and then ultimately uh, his, his, his path for our life, the way he wants us to live because of the incarnation. So let's kind of start with, you touched on it, 
but historically, this has been, this has always come under attack in part because it's so radical. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, the first century believers didn't argue about this. I mean, the, Paul and his generation that, that, I mean, this, this was truth. They, they saw it. They, they, they felt it. Uh, obviously, the disciples wouldn't argue it. You know, uh, they heard when Jesus uh, in, in John 14, is telling them if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Mm. Like, like you, you, you've seen it, and mm. like that's a huge claim. They were there with all of that. I'm sure they struggled to believe that when they heard that of going, what? Like that's a that's an incredible claim. Oh yeah. And yet, when the resurrected Jesus walked through the wall and sat with them, suddenly <laughs> I'm get, guessing they were all like, yep, yep, like he is, yeah. he he was. And so this is what they they taught that first century what wasn't a, a disagreement but quickly the second about the second century into christianity uh you we begin to have writings of folks that really wrestled with this because this is a big claim what do you mm -hmm. mean that god and, and you got to remember back then they didn't have the terms of the of the idea formulated yet of the trinity Right. And so they were just really wrestling with particularly coming from Jewish mindset of there's one God. One God. And and so you had things like uh, modalism. Did he so did he like just come as a mode into, you know, human form? Mm -hmm. What do you mean that this and you, you fast forward into mm -hmm. what is eventually in the early 300s. So three. Um, so you're several centuries into this and you've had a couple of different arguments in the first and second or second and th the beginning of the 200s. You have um, really an argument around uh, this idea of of likeness of what does it mean? And that really takes shape into something called Arianism mm -hmm. that that happens <laughs> in the early 300s. Right. And mm -hmm. Arius and some other uh, believers and theologians coming out of Alexandria, e Egypt. And this was what led to the Nicene Creed and the, the Council of Nicaea in 325. And it, it is called the Arian Controversy. You can Google it. You can read about it. And, and Arius and several of these other theologians, um, I think Athanasius, some others, uh, they had the argument of, and, and you get into the Greek of it, they wanted to know, particularly around John 3, 16, God's mm -hmm. only begotten son what does begotten mean what what is so is jesus and they were arguing around an iota and so sometimes we hear this not one iota um, <laughs> idea so an iota a greek letter so um they were arguing around these these two words of is he like substance or is he the same substance as mm. god right and so like substance um would be this this word uh in 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 um in Latin or Greek, I'm blanking on which one, uh, Latin or Greek, homoousius. Um, or is he the same substance, homoousius? Is he the exact same as God? Is he God? And they had a huge debates over this for, right. for decades. I mean, they really wrestled with this over several councils. Hmm. And then the idea of Trin the Trinitarian belief of the Nicene Creed, um, which had already been there. They'd been formulating. And so you had the kind of Trinitarians of there's Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who is one. And it was the Son that that took on human form. But, you know, but he was here at the beginning of time. It's just that he took on mm -hmm. flesh at this point. Mm -hmm. 
Um, that <laughs> belief based off of the writings of the first church mm -hmm. and off of Old Testament prophecies, that belief won out. And so yeah. Arianism uh, and the idea that uh, Jesus was was uh, was not fully God, um, it, it lost. And 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 historical Christianity that that kind of was was codified by Constantine and the Roman Catholic Church embraced this Nicene Creed belief and the whole reason that came about many of us grew up maybe saying the Nicene Creed at different points the whole reason that came about was on this argument of is he really God <laughs> like, like yeah is he is this really what it is and I think that it's it and that's the history of it there's a lot more you can and but that's three you're 300 years in so we here we sit mm -hmm. 2,000 years later um you know uh and it's still an argument Right. Yeah. It's still something that we grapple with. I think of how the first disciples who spent time with Jesus traveled around with him. were seeing him day after day. He would do things that would cause them to say, who is this? Hmm. So from the very beginning, you know, people, the followers of Jesus have, have asked this question. It's a good question to ask. Who then is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? It's a wrestling with he's a man, we're experiencing him in his humanity. And yet there's something beyond a man that is with us right now. And, and Jesus asked them the question, who do you say? Do you I say am? that I am? So these wrestlings that we see throughout church history, they're, they're around this question, who do men say that I am? And you have had people historically like Arian who, um, who said something different than what we see revealed in the scriptures and what the church has come to accept as, as true about Jesus, that he's fully God and fully man. This idea of being, uh, of Jesus being begotten, not made. That's a great search. If people want to dig, CS Lewis has a, a great essay on mm -hmm. this, the, the distinction and the church was making that distinction that yes, Jesus is begotten. He's not made though. He, if you think about something that's, that's made, a creator can make a statue that can look so lifelike. You know, you see these sculptures where it's amazing what what the best sculptors and artists can do in terms of creating a form that looks exactly mm -hmm. human. And that that's sort of like the idea that we've wrestled with throughout the history of the church is, was Jesus something that simply represented the Father? He looked he just looked exactly like God because God made him to be this statue that we could see. Or was he actually God? Was he God in the flesh of the same substance? And another, another, I had a whole nother line of, there was something called adoptionism of, 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 or. Right. <laughs> did God at the baptism. Possess Jesus. Possess Jesus yeah. at that point. And Jesus and was say, a regular guy. Right, right. And right. Jesus, this. The spirit of Jesus took control of this human form. Right, right, right. And so those are all arguments yeah. uh, that that are <laughs> that have that have been there. Um, and yet, you know, we get into the Christ hymn in Colossians one, which is beautiful, and we're going to talk about yeah. here in a little bit the Christ hymn in Philippians two, and some of those mm -hmm. things that it said right. that it points to the eternality of of Jesus. Right. All, particularly that Colossians one passage of all things were made by him and for him and through him. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is, this is Jesus. Uh, he was there at the beginning of time. Um, 
And so that that's an incredible statement. Okay, so this is who Jesus was. Um, and I think it's worth saying this was always the the promise of God. We read every year the Isaiah nine. You and I were looking at it um, before, but the famous the famous you know unto us a child is born, yeah. and the the great prophecy. And you know this was this was six seven hundred years before Jesus uh, was born, um, and. To the people sitting in darkness, to the to a world in distress, um, they've seen a great light, and 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 here is the promise of of what would be that, um, verse six of, of chapter nine: unto us a child is born, and a son is given. So unto us, this has happened. Mm-hmm. So so we have this baby, and so it's not. This is the argument against you know adoptionism or something that um, that of no no no. It was always going to be a, a baby was going to be born unto right. us. So he's human and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, yeah. everlasting father, prince of peace like that. So this baby would be born and he would be called mighty God, everlasting father. There, there was a mystery about this event that was prophesied long before Jesus and and the details of his birth came to be. That's one of the reasons I love Matthew's, you know, gospel. Luke, we often read Luke's version and I love Luke's version too, right. but but Matthew's gospel is he's so because he's writing to a Jewish audience. Um we're getting ready to do a whole the next three years I have to say, <laughs> oh, we're gonna be in the book of Matthew. So I've like been studying Matthew. But one mm-hmm. of the things I love about Matthew is he's so he wants to show how Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy. Right, you know, he says it over and over yes. again. So this to fulfill the prophets, and and I love that. And so the incarnation, and not to get too much into the weeds, we we can turn it to a practical conversation. But um, this is it is hard to wrap our minds around, mm-hmm. and yet this was what was prophesied, of where our hope would come from from this baby boy, mm-hmm. who would be called the everlasting Father, who is God who was birthed to us. And I think it is at the heart of Christianity to answer the question, Jesus' own question of, of who do you say I am? Because mm-hmm. if he's just rabbi, if, if he's just a teacher, it's the whole uh, C.S. Lewis argument of... of um, liar, of, Lord, Lord, or lunatic. Or, yeah, liar, lunatic, or Lord. Yeah, yeah. Right. Teachers don't just say the things that Jesus <laughs> said. Right. right. Yeah, so if he, you read Jesus, you either have to say... Hey, the writings have been corrupted, and and uh, the first followers of Jesus embellished it. He didn't actually say that, but if you just take it, what we have, the the recorded words of Jesus that we have, yeah, that's where Lewis comes in and says he, he what what he can't be is a good person. Yeah, <laughs> he's either a liar, like knowingly misrepresenting himself. He's a lunatic. He really believes it, but he's not all that he's claiming to be, or he actually is. He he is. Lord, Th- those are your three options, but you can't just say, "Well, he was a good teacher, yeah. a good, a good person. good person." Yeah, that's not what yeah. he pro- <laughs> what he taught about himself. Because some of the things he said was great for our conversation to disciple makers. Yeah, um, to to encourage, you know, brothers and sisters would be. I think it's worth wrestling every year, mm-hmm. and th- with this long debated coming back because you have people that believed in God. They believed there was a God who created all things. They just could not believe that that God put on flesh 
And Jesus was that. Right. And, and so in they, if you cannot believe that you are not a, a Christian, like this is at the heart of what it means to be a follower of Christ. We don't follow just a human example right. in human teachings. We follow that God has sent to us in darkness mm-hmm. a light mm-hmm. himself, right? And so this is what we believe. So, um, yeah, I think it's worth re- wrestling every year to allow that to add some weight to our following of Jesus Christ, of this is why this matters so much, Um Right. And so, yeah. And we can get into, so if he is God and I know you want to kind of chat through, why is it important to really believe that he is fully God and, and right. fully human? Like what is it that that then affords us that we know? Yeah. I just want to follow up with what you mentioned there out of Matthew's gospel. There's so many passages we yeah. could read yeah. today. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, Hebrews one, uh, Philippians two. Yeah. Uh, Matthew 1, Isaiah 7 and 9. All of these are places where the scriptures give us insights into God becoming man, the incarnation. But let me just read this one. This is where the angel appears to Joseph when when he's trying to figure out what's going on with my fiance who's who's pregnant. Um, And of course, Joseph has decided to, to break off the engagement. Um, what's one of the cool things is between Matthew and Luke's gospels, you can piece together that the angel Gabriel appears to Mary, um, and tells her that, that you're going to, that the, the power of the most high will overshadow, will, will mm-hmm. overshadow mm-hmm. you and you're, you're going to conceive that for this reason, the child born will be called the son of God, uh, because he didn't have a human father. Um, she proceeds to travel to the foothills of Judea and spend several months with her relative, Elizabeth, who's pregnant with mm-hmm. John the Baptist. And so there's that whole story about the baby leaping mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. Elizabeth's womb. Um, if you piece these gospels together, Luke and Matthew, she comes back from Judea pregnant, right? So Joseph, <laughs> put yourself in his sandals. Um, his fiance has gone on this trip yeah. to visit a relative several months past. Yeah. She comes back pregnant. And I suspect that she told Joseph, listen, and this angel appeared to me. Um, I, I've been pure. I've been chaste. This is a miraculous conception, the immaculate conception, you know. And Joseph has a hard time um, accepting uh, it. Yeah. You just believe yeah. it. Rightly so. Like this is only, it had never happened before then. It hasn't yeah. happened since then. And so he has decided to, to break off the engagement and then God uh, sends an angel to him to to tell him, mm-hmm. don't don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. It says, uh, the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She mm-hmm. will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, which means Yahweh saves, Jehovah saves. You shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Now, all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah. Mm -hmm. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which Mm -hmm. translated means God with us. Mm -hmm. And so here you see this child that's coming into the world given two names, both of which are very significant. One is Emmanuel. God is with us. What we have in the incarnation is just that God himself walking among us Mm -hmm. in the person of Jesus Christ. And not just God um, coming to us um, 
in a dream or as a voice from the, the sky, but coming with becoming one of us, becoming part of humanity, which is mind blowing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and then also Jesus, he came to us to save us. Mm -hmm. And so with the incarnation, two, two things that uh, we talked about off camera, two qualities that I would encourage people to think about when it comes to the incarnation is one, you have this higher being initiating, taking it upon himself to come to us. He, God doesn't just wait for us to figure it out and pursue him. He initiates. Part of what makes the incarnation the incarnation is God is initiating this movement. And then secondly, incarnation is he, he comes to us as one of us. He actually takes on flesh, like you said, mm. clothing himself with, with flesh. So those, those two principles have meaning for us. When we start to work out, well, the implications of, of the incarnation, well, what does it mean for us? those two things are going to give us some guidance. Yeah, it's, it's huge. I always love in, in Timothy Keller's, uh, towards the end of his, of his book, Prodigal God, mm -hmm. um, I, which is, I would, I, I think it's one of the best Christian books written in the, in the 21st century. It's, it's wonderful. Uh, oh. Have you read? I have not read that. Read, I love it. it. I love it. He takes a look at the story of the prodigal son and he makes the argument that this story was actually for the, the Jews and the main character of that story probably is more the older brother. He's making mm -hmm. a point that, mm -hmm. that, that this son of mine was lost. Uh, and now he's found, right? And you're right, crying about it like you've always been with me. Hmm. So he concludes all of that. And he makes the argument that we have an older brother that has a different story. Hmm. That the firstborn of God, uh, the first child of God, has pursued us. He's come to us, and it changes hmm. the story. Which is a so it's not just that we woke up in the pigsty and came mm. home on our own, right. to your point, this, right. this initiation. No, our story is that the older brother came and found us in the pigsty, mm. laid down with us in the pigsty, mm. picked us up and said, let's go home. Yeah. Like, that's such a, a beautiful, like worshipful, just awesome. And all the things with that, like he got dirty with us. I, mm. I, was, I was walking today uh, and I was listening to my feet crunch on the dirt path, you know, my stomach growled uh, from from <laughs> my morning coffee, you know, and my dogs beside me, and I and the sun's beating mm -hmm. down on me. And I'm just and I just had this thought of Jesus, you did this. Mm. Like the rocks crunched underneath your foot. Mm -hmm. You probably played with a couple dogs in your lifetime, you know. Sun, the same sun beat down on your skin. So the whole Hebrew Hebrews thought is that what you were going yeah, to? Yeah, Hebrews yeah. too. It's such a beautiful realization, right? Like, like right. you, and and all the things of what that means. Like he can relate to us. We have a high priest, right, that knows what it means to be human. So in the courts of heaven, right, we don't just have these perfect beings that never had to struggle with flesh. Hmm. Like Jesus put on flesh, and so he can say, you know, Abba. Um, Here's what it's like when you're tempted with lust. Right. Here's what it's like when you're hangry. And, yeah. And somebody is <laughs> is being rude to you and you just want to go off on them. Right. Here's what it's like when you're physically ailing and hurting and somebody asks you to do something for them. You know, I, he mm -hmm. can, you want to read that passage? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to start with Hebrews 2. Um, 
and then we'll I'll bounce over to Hebrews four, which yeah. uh, both of which talk about this yeah, yeah. this reality of the incarnation. So in Hebrews two fourteen, he says, "Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil." So Jesus, because the people he meant to save were made of flesh and blood, he himself also took on flesh and blood. He became one of us and he lived among us. And that's why in, in Hebrews 4, he, uh, he tells us that we, verse 15, we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize mm -hmm. with our weaknesses. We have one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. So he lived the perfect, he, he lived the life that our first father, Adam, was meant to live mm -hmm. this perfect life, this sinless life. That's why Jesus is referred to in scripture as the, the, the second, second Adam. Adam. Yeah. And he did the job that our original forefather failed to do. So then it says, therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Man, how beautiful is that? Yeah. How beautiful is that, that we can, and that's a refrain throughout Hebrews, one of my favorite refrains, of, let us draw, draw near, near to the throne mm -hmm. with confidence. Like this, because Jesus, and here's the confidence, and it's a two-parted confidence. Mm -hmm. One, that he's the perfect sacrifice. Mm -hmm. Right. Right? Because he he <laughs> was without blemish. Right. He, uh, and, and this is a, because he was a God, it was not just a sacrifice on earth, but it was also in the heavens as well, mm -hmm. in, in the temple of God. He was the perfect sacrifice. Yes. Which then Hebrews <laughs> says, we enter in through that curtain. Mm -hmm. So so our first entrance to even be before God is that we enter in through the curtain of Christ's body. Mm -hmm. Right. Man, I have been covered. I'm his sacrifice is perfect once for all. So that's the first part of our confidence to draw near to God. But that's the second part. And when we get to God, he's not looking down on us as you pathetic human. But we have a high priest mm -hmm. who's right there who can relate to every single one of our human experiences. Right. And and <laughs> so he gives us mercy. Mm -hmm. So we can draw, not just draw near groveling on our knees, but with confidence of God, you love me, you have forgiven me. Uh, and so the incarnation is central, central to this, to my prayer life, to my walking with the Lord, to my spiritual right. nature of, of what it means, of, of how I see, understand God sees me mm -hmm. and how I get to see and understand God. I mean, this is, this is huge. Without the incarnation, you don't, you don't have that. Um, so yeah, I, you know, as I was hearing those rocks crunch underneath my feet, that was just the thought all over me today. The other mm -hmm. thought of, and we were talking about this as well, this completely changes. It, once you really, and every year when Christmas comes around, if we re-embrace the incarnation, it changes how we read the Gospels. This isn't just uh, the teachings of a rabbi who was wise and good, right? This is the teachings of God here in human flesh. And so hmm. when Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount, mm -hmm. like these aren't just suggestions from a good teacher about how we should live. 
this is the moral code of our creator given to us mm -hmm. right so whereas um moses had the moral code of god written on stone tablets by god god then for us wrote that moral code on the tablet of flesh in jesus christ mm -hmm. who gave them to us and then by the holy spirit writes them on the tablets of our heart right so so our hearts of stone are turned into flesh which is the old testament prophecy of the new covenant right? but it's it just gives weight such weight of when jesus calls me to forgive and to turn the other cheek that's mm -hmm. not a suggestion right that's not a hey this is a good way to live <laughs> that is the words of god himself calling me to do this mm -hmm. it just gives it more weight don't, don't, oh don't, yeah yeah you know so right and he's the perfect example of here's what this looks like and if you so this is where it's not just words written if you want to know what this looks like hmm. jesus will show us right they're nailing him to a cross and he prays father forgive them they don't know what they're doing jesus one way to think about this is that jesus is one of us but unlike any of us, mm -hmm. you know, there are things about Jesus that where he, because he's one of us, he, he can identify with our weaknesses. He can uh, join us and represent us, but he's unlike any of us in the sense that his life predated his birth. You know, he, yep. he chose to come to earth, which we see in Philippians two. Yep. He lived a sinless life. He is God. And therefore, as you say, when he speaks, it has all the weight and authority of God speaking. It's not just a human prophet passing along the words of God. It is God speaking uh, to us, which is why uh, Christians have always regarded uh, the life and teachings of Jesus as paramount. And so the Old Testament um, only makes sense in terms of how Jesus fulfilled and and endorsed it the new testament is made up of his apostles passing along his life his teachings and helping to explain them but not adding to them mm -hmm. it's it's passing along the the teachings and the message of jesus it's why for the next three years at our church we're going to be following in matthew yep. and what i'm saying what, I, what we're telling the church is that we're not studying the book of matthew we're studying jesus mm -hmm. in the book of matthew and what we're we're looking towards is how did Jesus live? That's our perfect example. Mm -hmm. What did Jesus teach? That's our, our understanding of truth, right? Mm -hmm. uh, how did Jesus treat others? Well, that's our that's that's our relational uh, code of, of how we're right. supposed to relate. And and so we are studying Jesus. And so so often what can happen, and if we're not careful, I love a good Bible study, man. I I can I can deep dive, jump into words, mm. but I can spend months in awe of the word of God mm -hmm. and not do the practical thing of sitting down and just studying Jesus and saying, how did he live? Does that make sense? Like I get so Tozer would talk about this, that we get so wrapped up in the wonder of mm -hmm. the word mm -hmm. that we lose sight of the word made flesh. <laughs> right. Right. We, like here's like, yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. This Greek word can mean this. And it, yes. it goes this way and it's awesome. And here's what in the, in these stories of the old time. Yeah, 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 yeah. But God took all of that, the, his word, his truth, and he put it on flesh. So if you want to look like 
go, go study Jesus. And mm. so I, you know, I think you use the word reset at Christmas time mm. uh, is a reset, but I think, I think it's worth every year to, to be reminded of this reset of, of, yeah, Jesus is my example. So let me, right. let me be in the gospels and just keep on reading and reading, you know, I, to that point and, and, um, we can make the switch and I don't know, I'm, I'm, you tell me, uh, yeah. I, I, to make the switch now to really thinking. So once you've wrestled with this on a theological level, mm-hmm. and then that begins to flesh itself out in you, in your following of Jesus, mm-hmm. Then I think it has, the incarnation teaches us so much on a missional level right? of how we are to relate to the world. So he ends at the end of his incarnating, he ends with a great commission to go make disciples, mm-hmm. right? He gives, uh, he gives this, this calling, but he has left them with this beautiful, powerful example of how to do that. Right. Right. And so the example is not just that he's, uh, giving them a message to go spread to the whole world. So mm-hmm. go write it on papers and and uh, go, no, 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 hey, go incarnate this to the whole world. Mm. So go make new disciples mm-hmm. and new gatherings of disciples to mm-hmm. grow into my likeness, mm-hmm. filled with my spirit, so that my life can be incarnated into new communities into new languages, into new people groups all over the world. And and this is our missional call of how. And so I was, you know, you, we've been, we've talked about the Philippians too, beautiful in this being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God. And it's all, but the run up into this, this, this Christ hymn about the incarnation is, is pretty telling. Mm-hmm. So Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. And he is telling them, listen, if if you all, and this is, you know, I wish um, Tim Mackey over at the Bible Project talks about, like, we need the word y'all. <laughs> y'all, yes. It would help to remind. He's not right. talking about individuals. He says, therefore, if y'all have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion that make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, and being one in spirit and one of mind. So he's talking to the church. Hey, be united. And here's mm-hmm. what he keeps on going. He says, um, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. So he's talking to the church. He's not just, he's saying, as you guys, here's how you guys are supposed to relate. So not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others around you mm-hmm. in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who, and then he gets into the Christ hymn of being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God, something to be grasped um, or take, take advantage of, uh, to his own vantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness um, mm. and being found in the appearance of man. He humbled himself. So he's using mm. the incarnation. Right. And the Absolutely. humility of the incarnation. Right. As the example and telling Christians, hey, take on this mindset. Right. The mindset of the incarnation. Right. When you relate to one another. Right. So he's using this. Uh, so here's the power of the Wrestle with this. God humbled himself and came into the appearance of a servant. So that incarnation is to be for me my example of why I should serve my wife 
why I should go to the widow's house at my church and, and help with something that she's struggling with at her house. When I've got a lot of other things that I want to do, I've got a busy weekend. There's a good football game on. Hmm. I want to go do those things. And yet, why am I called to because of the incarnation? Hmm. Because Jesus did this for me, and that's our example. And Paul is saying that this is then how we perpetuate Jesus into the world is that we have that mindset right. uh, that Jesus had. And he goes on to say, so do nothing, do everything without grumbling, right? Mm. If you keep on reading the rest of that <laughs> that chapter, um, he and he tells them, as we hold out the word of life like light into this world, right? So mm -hmm. he is saying, this is how, this is missionally what we're called to do, is that we incarnate the incarnation over and over and over again mm. into this world. And it's to be our missional Missional drive. Sorry for the sermon there. I just no, it's I, good. I, I I love that passage. Well, one thing that I want to draw out for folks in this conversation, I, I'm hoping it, the incarnation it really defines for us the character of God, and you see that here in Philippians too, because yeah. it's expressed through Jesus. So, what do we see? We see we see a God who initiates, who humbles, who seeks, um, a God who who doesn't give up on the world. A God who actually enters into a broken world mm -hmm. um, as as one of this the lost human race to to bring us back to Him. So you see the the, the mm -hmm. incarnation. Studying the incarnation will help you understand the nature of God, the character of God, what is true about God because of the incarnation. So that's one. Uh, secondly, the incarnation highlights our need for a savior. Why did why did Jesus do this? Why why would God humble himself and become obedient to death on a cross. Well, he's, he's, why do we need the lamb of God to take away the sins mm -hmm. of the world? Because we can't save ourselves. And this kind of gets back to Adam. Help me remember. I want to loop back to mm -hmm. this idea of representation. Mm -hmm. But secondly, the incarnation helps us understand truth about ourselves that we need God to come and save us. We need to be rescued. We need a savior, a champion, which is what Jesus is. And then third, the incarnation teaches us about mission and discipleship and what our calling is now that we have been rescued, now that we do belong to this amazing God, what does he want from us? Philippians 2, you know, have this same attitude. And you can even trace it back into chapter one, where he says, conduct yourselves mm -hmm. in a manner worthy, striving together mm -hmm. for the sake of the gospel, that we've been called to join Jesus in this mission of, like you said, incarnating the character of God in, in a broken world. Mm -hmm. And and that's huge, the incarnation. And what we need to see, this is what Paul's doing. He's using the incarnation as the <laughs> as the example and the reason right. why we do this. Absolutely. And so this is to where we started our conversation. Why as Christians, we need to really think and wrestle with this. Yeah. It I've, has so many implications. I've heard Philippians too. This is one of the, you know, we talked about the Nicene Creed. Yeah. And many people don't realize that that creeds go all the way back into the text itself. And, and here in Philippians mm -hmm. 2, especially verses 5 through 11, we have one of the earliest creeds mm -hmm. that that w was taught to mm -hmm. disciples. Early first generation members of the church were, were taught to memorize. Mm -hmm. So in Philippians 2, 5 through 11, 
you know, Paul, of course, he's writing the letter to the Philippians, but here he's actually quoting he's quoting something. He didn't he, write it, right? Exactly. He's quoting 5 through 11. He's quoting something that the believers would have already heard. Yeah. He's just reminding, he's bringing yeah. them back to it and yeah. setting it in its context of, this is why you memorize this, uh, have the same attitude in you, yeah. which is also in Christ. He's, then he begins to quote, who, although he was in the form of God, did not regard that starting there, they they taught the early Christians to memorize this creed because it is a a an azimuth to help us yeah understand God and, and what, follow what him. is you know because if you start asking hey why is the incarnation important and you hit on those things beautifully well mm -hmm. it has huge implications for for how I am saved right yeah I mean, it's hugely important for that <laughs> right. But what we're seeing in Paul is that it has also, and that's a very practical thing. Like I, I can have confidence and <laughs> right. I can approach it. We talked about in Hebrews, I can approach the throne with confidence mm -hmm. because of the incarnation. Mm -hmm. But then he's saying it also has huge implications for how we as Christians go live our life. Yes. And 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 it should be the reason for our humility um, and the power of our humility, right? It mm -hmm. should be um, for us the perpetual example uh, and call to value others as more important than ourselves. Right. Like that's, that's a, that's a huge <laughs> statement, but that is to mark Christians in a world of, because of the first Adam, uh, and, and the sin that marks everyone. Right. Everyone is by nature self-focused. Yes. Then Jesus frees us from that becomes for us a new a new model a new adam mm -hmm. right he is we're birthed and when we're born again of him that spirit becomes into us right and now we no longer follow the example of the first adam mm -hmm. who who we follow the example of the second adam and absolutely which is which is beautiful and so in to remind ourselves of the incarnation over and over again um, and to study it, uh, what we're learning from the first church of, of, of here we go, continue to worship God because of this mystery, continue to approach God with confidence because of this mystery mm. and continue to follow God in this mystery. So you think this has huge implications for how a disciple maker goes and makes a disciple, mm -hmm. right? So what, what, how did Jesus make disciples? Well, he incarnated God into the lives of these men and women, not by just coming alongside and preaching at them. Right. Right. But he's at their dinner tables. Mm -hmm. He's with Peter with when his mother-in-law is sick and he's in her house with her. And he's um, on boats fishing with these guys. They're camping out. He's mm -hmm. weeping in front of them. Like he... He related to them. So if you start thinking about incarnational discipleship, the invitation here is not to see someone as a project and just throw stuff at them, mm -hmm. but to become one with them and love them and come mm -hmm. alongside with all their hiccups and mistakes and, and be at their dinner table and loving. And it's formation. Mm -hmm. Discipleship is formation over time. Right. As you are incarnating truth, right, and and love and loving ways to them, just over and over and over again, and that's our model, because that's what Jesus did. Yeah, and Jesus even said that in John thirteen. Of course, we have the new commandment, um, 
a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. So that's incarnation language. It's incarnation language. And it's also important to know who he's talking to there in John 13, 34 and 35. It's the 11 faithful disciples. Judas had already left to betray Jesus. So Jesus is telling those, those 11, I'm giving you a new command. Now, the timing is also significant because this is the night of his betrayal, arrest, the night before his death. And so Jesus has spent three years doing it, <laughs> sharing life with these disciples. And he couldn't say this command at the beginning. Mm. He had to give it at the end, a new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you because he had, he had lived among them. He had given them. John 13, 15 says, I have given you an example that you also should do mm, as I have mm-hmm. done to you. So Jesus, as you say, when we talk about um, Jesus-style discipleship, it's it's all those things you just talked about. It's, it's the more mature initiating with the less mature. Mm. Jesus sought out these, mm. these disciples and called them to follow him. It's sharing life with them. It's not just packaging it into a a weekly two hour mm-hmm. lecture, right? Mm-hmm. It's sharing life and all of the different venues of, mm-hmm. of, of our life. And then it's living a model. So as he shared life, he was a living example of what he was calling them to become. And it's why one of our slogans as we make disciples is believe in, belong to, become like mm-hmm. Jesus. We think about biblical faith, we're called to all three of those to believe in Jesus, that he really is God among us, to belong to him. So we're no longer represented by the first Adam. We're no longer bound to Mm -hmm. live out of selfish ambition, Mm -hmm. to vain Mm -hmm. conceit, to only seek our own interests. Mm -hmm. We belong to the second Adam who gave us a whole different picture of life, Mm -hmm. freed us from that, and then become like. So we're called to be transformed uh, more and more as we go through this life into the image of Jesus and to help others. So yeah. the incarnation is at the heart of all of that. It's at the heart of it. I love you if you continue on in that John 13, 14, 15, 16. Yeah. He, he continues on that night and he tells him, hey, and you're not going to be doing this on your own. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. My father and I will come and make our home inside of you. And the, the advocate will come and you flesh it out. And what the, what the early church taught each other is, man, when you live out of this Holy Spirit, it begins to incarnate itself out of you in mm. the, in the fruits of the flesh, right? Or, or the fruits of the spirit of, hmm. um, and that second Adam life begins to come out of you in love and joy and peace and patience and these things. So this idea and this calling to incarnate, that's literally what we do. And, and to call the church the body of Christ right. is not just a title, right? It, yeah. it, it's, a, it's a calling. And, and, and it is a, a missional directive. To, right. We are to incarnate with the way we love, with the, with the way we care, not just for the world around us, but for one another, for, for our brothers, for our sisters. It's, it's so beautiful that, that we have that that imagery and that description really of the church as a body, because Mm. what it tells us is that we are intrinsically connected Mm -hmm. to Jesus, the head. Um, So we're getting our directions from him. So we're not just connected to Jesus, but we're connected in a submit in a posture of submission that Mm -hmm. we're allowing him to direct us. We're also intrinsically connected to one another Mm -hmm. to, to be 
part of the church is to be connected with other believers. It's mm -hmm. not just you and Jesus. It's mm -hmm. you and your brothers and sisters in the faith connected to one another and Jesus. Mm -hmm. But then to, to your point, it's the call to live as his body, to, mm -hmm. to be the physical representation of Jesus in the world. So Jesus is no longer physically in the world as an as an individual human being, but he is in the world. His body is still in the world mm -hmm. physically mm -hmm. through the church, through us as his people. And we're called to live it out in a way that makes it visible, mm -hmm. makes makes God visible to a watching world. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a powerful truth. Um, now, this is a totally different way of thinking about Christmas, right? So that's why I say... Um, how much of what we've been describing is is sort of where our imaginations are during and i'm talking to myself very little like when i'm in the christmas mood <laughs> it's usually not about this mm. it's it's about a lot of nostalgia and all of that is good but let's not lose sight of what christmas really calls us to calls our attention to which is god with us mm -hmm. You know, Emmanuel, that that all of this is true because of that first Christmas, of that first coming of God into the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think we have to learn how to lead our hearts, mm -hmm. right? Uh, of of I hey heart, pay attention to this, like right. And so, if, if there's any appeal in this episode, it mm -hmm. is to say, hey, you know these things, but let us let us relearn these things over and over and over again. Let them shape us. Let us come back to it um, and, and take Christmas and enjoy the nostalgia. Enjoy your, your, your traditions as a family, do those things. Mm -hmm. But in the midst of all of it, go pause and, and be still and just recognize this is why it is significant, you mm -hmm. know? Uh, and then let it, let it be the, the shaping thing that is meant to bring peace on earth and, you know, goodwill to all men, like let it be the, the, the cause of joy that will cause great joy mm. that a, a baby has been born. Uh, and, and so let us mm. really wrestle with those things. And, uh, yeah, I, I love Christmas. My kids love Christmas, but I am convicted that if you ask my kids why they love Christmas, I don't think the incarnation is going to be in there, <laughs> even their top 10. Right. You know, and that's true for a lot of us who are a little further along in life. So that's that's really why. Again, last year we talked about you know should Christians celebrate Christmas? Yes, we should. Why? Because of this. Because of the amazing truth of God coming down to Earth, becoming one of us, bringing us back to Himself, and then giving us a part in this work that He's playing in the world today. All of that is true because of the incarnation, because of Christmas. Yeah, and I, maybe it's also worth ending with an appeal uh, that the righteous live by faith and not by sight. And this is a, um, you know, I started off by saying it's an unbelievable truth that we're <laughs> called to believe in, right? And that's hard. And yet the encouragement to those that are followers of Jesus is, is to, hey, live by faith. This don't don't live by sight. Live by mm -hmm. faith that this is true. We're putting all of our eggs in this basket, so to speak. Right. And my experience of that, as I as I do that, and have walked, is God has shown 
the fruits. He has shown goodness of, of that. He's incarnated his presence in my life over and over and over again. And even in hard seasons, and there have been plenty, his faithfulness and all of that, um, the, to live by faith and just the encouragement of all that, of, of, I think it's worth wrestling with and to, and to understand that for many, this, this is the stumbling block. Mm. And, and that's what it was prophesied to be. Jesus would be the stumbling block, right? Right. Uh, They just can't wrap their brains around that God would put on flesh. And Mm. instead of judging that, to have some pity on that, I go, I'll go, and I can understand that. Yeah. I can understand that. So what I'm praying for, for mm. people in my life that I know that that is the stumbling block. They're mm-hmm. fans of Jesus. They, right. they like people that I love dearly, that they like Jesus. They mm-hmm. appreciate what Jesus did, but they don't see Jesus as, as divine, as God. Um, you know, my prayer for them is, mm. is the gift of faith that God would so stir mm. like he did Paul that in a moment the scales fell off and what was it that Paul came to believe that Jesus was God, yeah. right? That, that he came to see this is real. Oh my gosh. I, <laughs> are you serious? Like I've been persecuting this and, and this is real. And so that's my prayer um, for f- folks in my life. And I know many, many of, of the viewers of the episode will have folks in their life that like that as well. I know you do. Yeah. That's what we pray for, right? And as we disciple others, um, I think it's worth noting that what we're longing for for everyone is not just that they become good people, mm-hmm. not that they become Bible scholars, mm. not that they can espouse the tenets of Christianity, but that they would believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. Yeah, Jesus says that's the work. Here's the real right. work of what it means to follow me is that you believe this. Mm. It's hard to believe. And so let's mm. do that work of believing that. So leader hearts at Christmas time, believe that together. I think that's, that's the call.